1: Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8-Side Network. Drew Pearson joins us on Sports Byline, the former Hall of Fame wide receiver who played his entire 11-year NFL career with the Dallas Cowboys after playing his college career at Tulsa University. And he went undrafted, but by the time his career ended, he had left his mark as the franchise's all-time leader in most receiving categories – and established himself as one of the National Football League's best clutch performers. He was named to the NFL's all-decade team of the 70s, and he won a Super Bowl championship when the Cowboys beat the Broncos in Super Bowl XII. But, Drew, let's go back. Tell me a little bit about growing up in South River, New Jersey.
0: Uh, Yeah, I uh, grew up in South River, New Jersey, and uh, it's a a small town at the time, about 10,000 people. Uh, it's a Polish, mostly Polish descent, but it's very diversified as well. Uh, uh, but the high school was set, set up on a hill, and South River High School football was a big deal. Uh, the kids growing up in South River, like myself, all they aspired to do was play football for South River High School, all right? So... It was very popular. And the reason is because the history of South River football, South River has a tremendous history. But actually, I'm not the first Hall of Famer from South River High School. The first Hall of Famer from South River High School was a guy named Alex Woodjahubis. And he played at South River High School, and he played center, went on to Fordham University, played with uh, Vince Lombardi at Fordham University, one of the seven blocks of brand. Jordan was drafted number one by the Detroit Lions uh, as a nose tackle and middle linebacker, excuse me, as a nose tackle and center, and uh, was uh, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1968. So uh, there's a great legend uh, uh, history of uh, great players that come through South River High School. I played high school football. My quarterback my sophomore year in high school where I started at wide receiver and safety on defense, my quarterback was Joe Tiesman. Of course, back then, uh, you know, we call him, we call him Joe Tiesman. Now, back then, we called him Joe Tiesman.
2: But he was my quarterback.
0: <laughs> so, he came through there, and a guy named Kenny Jackson, who played with the Philadelphia Eagles, a uh, high draft choice with the Eagles, played at Penn State, uh, came through there. Uh, so this uh, great tradition of football coming out of South River, and I was part of that and very proud to be part of that tradition. But as a kid growing up, it was sports, anything sports. I played football, basketball, and baseball. Baseball was my favorite sport. I was playing with men, grown men, my, my cousin's team uh, at uh, 13 years old. And the reason is I played, I was a big bat boy, and I showed up for all the games with my cousin and his best friend. And uh, one game, they didn't have enough guys, so they suited me up and stuck me in right field. <laughs> and I got two hits and made a great catch in the outfield. So next thing you know, I'm on the team. Uh, so baseball is my favorite sport, which is one of the reasons why I chose Coastal University. Uh, I ended up being an all state quarterback after I replaced at quarterback. Uh, I was groomed to uh, replace him at quarterback. I played the varsity games on Saturday afternoon, all day. And then on Monday afternoon, I would play the JV all day to groom to replace Joey at quarterback. Uh, but one of the, I was So I was all-state quarterback, heavily recruited, coming out of uh, 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 South Carolina. Uh, uh, baseball was my favorite sport. I was like 5'11", 145 pounds. I was built more like a baseball player than a football player. And, of course, we didn't lift any weights back then because that wasn't part of the training regime back then with weights. Uh, So I was all state quarterback. I was being recruited by Michigan State. It's parallel. He had New Jersey territory. He was recruiting me to go to Michigan State. And then during that recruiting process, he ended up getting a head coaching job at Tulsa University. And so now he's recruiting me to go to Tulsa University. And I didn't know anything about Tulsa. I actually didn't even know where it was. Uh, I just hoped it was in the United States. And I uh, found out it was in Oklahoma. And I was happy with that. Uh, But Tulsa had an excellent, excellent baseball program. Uh, Their head coach, James Shell, uh, it was taking the Golden Hurricane baseball team to the World Series year in and year out. Uh, players from the Golden Hurricane were getting drafted into uh, major leagues. The most notable Steve Rogers it's the a number of years for the Montreal Expos. Uh, so Tulsa had a great baseball program, and uh, eventually my choice uh, came down to uh, – Nebraska, which was heavily recruiting me, there were three guys in the state of Jersey that they wanted, it, and I was one of those guys. They got the other two, uh, but I ended up uh, signing with Tulsa, and the main reason was because of their baseball program. They were going to let me play football and baseball, and baseball was my love, first love, and so that's why I signed with Tulsa. Uh, but oh, you- growing up, it was all about sports. All I read was the newspaper, in the sports section. My dad was into getting newspapers: North Star Ledger, uh, uh, the uh, New York Post, uh, the, uh, uh, the the Home News, which was the local paper, the per- Perpamy Tribune. All those papers we got, and I would just turn to the sports section. Read about sports, and I knew everything about sports. And even to this day, I'm a trivia expert on sports. Not so much today with these current players, but during my time, for sure.
1: You started at quarterback at Tulsa, but you changed to wide receiver. What was behind that decision?
0: Well, I started at, uh, on the freshman team at quarterback. Uh, They had put in six quarterbacks. I ended up beating them all out. They moved three to defense. And so I was captain of the freshman team. Freshman couldn't play varsity then. Uh, We had a nice season. We played four games. Uh, We were two and two. At the end of that season, you know, I'm getting ready to play baseball. I'm getting ready to go into baseball. But the the football coach, Vince Carroll, came up to me and said, hey, you got a chance to start a quarterback next year on the varsity so we need you to commit to, you know, spring ball and commit to football. And so with that, I had a long discussion uh, with my dad. Uh, we went through it over and over and over and over. And what might be the best way to approach this, because we knew we couldn't do both and still maintain, uh, you know, uh, grades to stay eligible to play, because Tulsa was not an easy university academically to get through. So that was part of the uh, discussion as well. Uh, so we knew we couldn't do both. So we decided to go with football, uh, mainly because it might be easier. If football doesn't work, it might be easier to go from football back to baseball as opposed to if you try baseball, you trying to get back into football. Once you leave football, you're pretty much done because it's the mental toughness, the mental aspect of the game, that, that the difference between football and baseball. Uh, so anyway, I gave up baseball uh, for football and uh, ended up starting the fourth game of my uh, sophomore year, starting quarterback. Uh, going into my sophomore year was a senior, John Dobbs. It just so happens that his uh, his dad was the athletic director of the school as well, so it was hard to be good now as a quarterback, but I initially did, and we had some success Now I'm in football. Going into spring practice, I asked the coach to move me to wide receiver because now I want to play pro football. I didn't have the necessary skills to be NFL quarterback. I knew that. I realized that. Receiving was always my position. I only played quarterback at South River because I was the best athlete. The logical choice to replace those items. Uh, so that's why they put me there. Uh, but I always was a receiver, and asked the coach to receive be the receiver and at this time uh and a new coach was Claude Gibson and he uh we had two JUCO college All Americans that came in to compete at quarterback position. They had good springs uh, spring balls for so the coach uh, saw I that I could move to wide receiver. So I played in my last two years at Tulsa at wide receiver where I caught fifty five passes for just over thousand yards. But I think we caught the eyes of the scouts with my yards per check. I averaged them 21 yards per check uh, uh, in two seasons uh, that I played receiver at Tulsa.
1: Drew Pearson has joined us on Sports Byline, Hall of Fame wide receiver who played his entire 11 year NFL career with the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl championship. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about that desire he had to play in the NFL because he once said, I never doubted my ability. I knew all I needed was a chance to show what I could do. It was a challenge. And we'll talk to him about what those challenges were as we continue across the country and around the world on the American Forces Network. We've got you on Sports SportsPyline.
3: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save fifty dollars on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK systems next through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: We're talking football this hour with Drew Pearson, of course, elected to the Hall of Fame in the National Football League, had a fine, fine career, and as a young sportscaster, I certainly do remember him when I was in Washington, D.C., in those great rivalry games, which we'll talk about a little bit later on between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins. I mentioned about having a passion, a desire to play in the NFL. And if so, why did you think you went undrafted?
0: Well, simply because uh, we didn't have much success as a team at Tulsa. Uh, The four years I was at the university, uh, we had three losing seasons. The four years there, we had uh, three head coaches. In the four years there, we were on probation Three of those four years. Uh, so with that and then moving from quarterback to receiver and not catching many balls at that position, uh, I think all that led to uh, not getting drafted as well as my size. I mean, I wasn't that big. I was about 165, 170 pounds again, even in college. We weren't required to lift weights. I didn't lift any weights or anything like that. And so, uh, you know, maybe they saw all that. You know, I ran a 4.640. I wasn't big. I wasn't that strong. So maybe they saw all that and said, hey, this guy is not worth a draft but maybe, maybe he has some value to bring him in as an undrafted creation the 17 rounds of the draft went by, four and 50 some players, and uh, my name wasn't called. And uh, the second day of the draft, as they ended the draft, uh, I got three phone calls. I got the first phone call came from the Green Bay Packers. Second call came from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And third call came from the Dallas Cowboys. And even though I didn't get drafted, I was crying. I was disappointed. I was heartbroken. And I got those three phone calls from those three storied franchises. <laughs> you know, uh, it made me feel a little better. And then it even made me feel more so better, better more so because when the Dallas Cowboys called, the scout, Bob Griffin, was in town at the Camelot Hotel. He wanted me to come down there immediately to talk about signing a contract with the Dallas Cowboys. And so uh I eventually uh, went down there and our last coach was FA Dry at Tulsa. And one thing he said, it might not be so bad to be uh not get drafted, not get drafted because as an undrafted free agent you might get to pick the best situation for you to go in and try to make that football team as opposed to being locked into a team that drafts you. So I had that in mind, and I thought the best opportunity would be for me to be the Dallas Cowboys because of the history of free agents making their team and then the proximity to Tulsa where so I could maybe drive down there. It's only three and a half hours. I can work out or do whatever to try to make that football team. So I went down to the Camelot Hotel. I met with Bob Griffin, and he offered me a contract of $14,500. <laughs> uh, hundred, the last and a hundred fifty dollars signing bonus, and so I said, "Sir, if you pay me that signing bonus in cash, I'll sign right now." <laughs> and uh, he said, "Why do you want cash?" He said, "Most people want a check, you know, so they can frame it, take a picture of it, you know, have it for you know your archives and memories and stuff like that." And I said, I need cash money because I need gas money to get back to the apartment. (laughs) That's how broke I was. So I didn't hold out for $200, 15 grand. I signed that contract right then and there. I got my signing bonus in the past, 720s and a 10. And and that's how I got into the NFL with the Cowboys. But again, the history of their free agents, the Cowboys, most notably, Cliff Harris, who played at Washington Baptist College in Arkansas. I said, if a Cliff Harris could make the Dallas Cowboys as an undrafted free agent coming out of Washington Baptist College, then I think I have a chance to make the Cowboys coming out of Tulsa University. And it's how ironic how Cliff and I went into the Hall of Fame and beat the class of 2020, and I'm in the class of 2021. But he was my inspiration, part of the inspiration to sign with the Cowboys. The other was with Bob Landry, and then the other players on the team. I was a, still a New York Giants fan until I got that money growing up in New Jersey, a Giants-Git fan. So I really didn't like the Cowboys until I signed with the Cowboys. But always my favorite player on the Cowboys was Bob Why wide receiver. And so that was a big reason. Those are big reasons I ended up signing with Dallas, as opposed to Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Pittsburgh called after that and wanted me to meet with one of the roomies that was at the uh, Holiday Inn, and I turned it down. He said, what did you sign for? I said $150. He said, we got (laughs) $1,500. I said, oh, no. I could have got $1,500, but I think I made the right choice.
1: (laughs) I've got to ask you, over my career, I had the opportunity of uh, interviewing Tom Landry a number of times, and I'll never forget one interview I had with him after he had retired. And I said to him, Coach, what is it like for you in your first fall in which you're not uh, out on the, on the field? He said, it's the first time I've ever had a chance to see the leaves change. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I kind of smiled at that. But tell me about the first time you met him.
0: Did I really talk? Actually, I didn't talk. All I did was shake my head yesterday, (laughs) up and down. Or if I did talk, I said yes or no, sir. And that was about it. I mean, intimidated. Totally intimidated. And, you know, I was intimidated by him throughout my whole career. And I put myself in the position to be intimidated by him. I wanted him. I respected him that much in his knowledge of the game game the football, his knowledge of life, I respected him that much that I wanted to be intimidated by him. I wanted to please him. I wanted to do the right thing by him. You know, it's just like my dad. I, had, you know, I held him the high esteem as well, and I wanted to please him and do everything right for him. Not get him upset at me in any way. And then if he did get upset, you know, just one time, and not over you know the same thing over and over one of the greatest compliments Coach Landry uh, gave me uh, in my career and being around him, he said, Drew, you're very coachable. <laughs> and I said, what about me, Coach? He said, well, I tell you to do something. First of all, when we, when we tell you to do something, you pick it up. And if you don't get it, if I tell you to do something else, you correct it. And you don't make the same mistake twice. So that was one of the greatest compliments that he could ever give me. Uh, so being around him just taught me so many things. I mean, he the way he ran the team. I mean, he ran it like a business. I mean, we're a football team, but he ran it like a business. You know, we went to training camp. Of course, everybody sets goals, but how many teams set ways, means, and methods? <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, ABC from ways, ABC from means, ABC from methods to reach those goals. You know, and so everything was like a business. The way he dressed on the sidelines, you know, he was not like a head coach. He looked like a CEO. When we traveled to games, he made us wear suit and ties. We carried briefcases. We didn't carry gym bags. We were studying the computer printout when I got into the NFL. In 1973, we were using the computer back then to study tendencies of our opponents. So everything I learned as an adult, being around him, when I got there at what, 21, 22 years old, you know, he's he, being around him and guys like Roger Staubach, Leroy, and Bob Hayes, and No Renfro, and guys like that shaped my adult life, you know, because I'm away from home at 18 years old. Now, these are my adult mentorships. And so they, they shaped my adult life, and I was blessed to be around them.
1: We only have a minute before we have to break, but a lot of football fans certainly have read North Dallas Forty or seen the movie. How did you find the cowboy culture when you joined them?
0: Uh, Tough, difficult, very disciplined. Uh, Coach Andy was the leader. The buck stopped with him. Uh, The pace, everything we did went went through him, and uh, you know. So I could see how North Dallas Forty at that time. When coaches were allowed to do a little more with the players because the union wasn't in effect, the players' union didn't have that; wasn't there to protect players. Uh, so, you know, I can see how it was a little tougher for those players on the coach Landry because he was very much a disciplinarian, and there is only one way to play football, is with that discipline, and so he enforced that uh, to, uh, uh, as uh, as uh, forceful as he could do it, and not, you know, be. Charged for assaulting anybody, but uh, <laughs> you know, but you know that that just the that's just the way he coached, and that's the way he played. You know, he was not Vince Lombardi. You know, he played with Vince Lombardi. You know, the Cowboys had a choice when they came into the league: uh, Clint Murchison, who to go with Vince Lombardi or Tom Landry. He went with Tom Landry specifically, specifically because. You know his demeanor, uh, his his educational background. You know he's a engineer from the University of Texas. He flew airplanes in the war and stuff like that. And Clint Murchison wanted a more analytical kind of guy uh, than a you know a coach that runs a green bay sweep or right or left. You know, <laughs> so that's why he chose Coach well. So.
1: We continue our Hall of Fame interview with Drew Pearson as we continue on Sports Byline.
3: Drew Pearson with us this hour
1: on Sports Byline USA. He's been elected into the Hall of Fame and, of course, had a fine, fine career. I alluded a little bit earlier to the being a young sportscaster and covering those uh, games on Thanksgiving Day primarily between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins. As I think over all the great rivalries in the National Football League, that one sticks out to me the most, not because I saw many of them, but what was it that made those games so unique between those two teams?
0: Uh, I, I think uh, the rivalry that it was when I was coming through it was when George Allen took over the Redskins, and all of a sudden they became competitive because the Cowboys, before then, were pretty much dominating the East and having a lot of success in the East. And now with George Allen there, now the Redskins are the number one team. The Cowboys are competing with for you know first place in the NFC East. So that fueled the rivalry, and then, of course, George Allen's strategy and the way he developed the team as opposed to the Cowboys and the way the Cowboys did it, you know, it was complete opposite. So, you know, that added fuel to the rivalry. So uh, all those kind of things added to the rivalry, and just as we continue to play each other twice a year competing for the division title, uh, it just added fuel to the rivalry, and we had players talk about it. I mean, they talked about they gonna get us. We talked about we gonna get them. So no, there's no love lost between uh, them uh, uh, with them. them with us or us with them. That's for sure.
1: You know, it was very interesting, uh, that NFC East, where you had the Giants, you had the Eagles, you had the Washington Redskins, you had the Cardinals for a while as well in that division. That was a division I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe you can help me out with that, Drew. Uh,
0: very physical, okay? Uh, you know, we had a lot of success. I think I won seven championships uh, I know I played in seven NFC championship games uh, in 11 seasons, but I'm telling you, you know, it, it, every game was knocked down, drag out, you know. I mean, we never, hardly ever blew anybody out, you know. Every game was a close physical football game, and that just was the NFC East. It was just a, a black and blue type division, and, you know, we and it was a running game uh, uh, that dominated. The running game dominated the division back then with all the great running backs that came through uh, the division uh, uh, at that time. So it was a very physical uh, division. And like I said, even if we had success against teams, say, like the Giants early and uh, before they got Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and people like that on their defense and Phil Sims on offense, uh, you know, we had a lot of success, but we might've won. But, man, we knew we were in football games, you know, playing in the NFC East. And those games were easy to get up for because you knew you had to meet the intensity level that they were going to bring against you to compete against them.
1: And in those 11 years with the Dallas Cowboys, three times you went to the Super Bowl, finally winning in Super Bowl number 12, beating Denver. What was it about that Denver game that you'll remember the most?
0: Uh, How physical we were. Uh, you know, Jennifer Davis had a good game for the first half, but our defense dominated. Uh, Craig Morton was their starting quarterback. Uh, Craig Morton was on the Cowboys when I got to the Cowboys. And I knew Craig Morton, so if I knew him, you know, Coach Andrew knows him very well as well. And the one thing we knew about Craig Morton, he couldn't run. And we collapsed that pocket on him every time he tried to pass. And too tall Harvey Martin and Randy White just brought it all game. And we finally got it together on offense and scored out points and big plays, the long pass to Butch Johnson, Robert Newhouse threw a fullback pass, a fullback pass in the Super Bowl, running to his left and threw it the to Golden Richards on a perfect pass. We both made a great catch. And then from there, we dominated because we knocked Craig Morton out of the game and a guy named Morris Weeks from Ole Miss came in at quarterback. And I'm telling you, sir, nobody named Norris Weiss is going to beat us that Sunday. <laughs> on Super Bowl Sunday, okay. <laughs> so we, got, we ended up winning the game. And uh, it was about the defense. Our defense dominated and set the tone throughout the whole game.
1: You know, Drew, there's only been a handful of athletes I've known over my career that I consider special, special. And you are in that group uh, because you were known yeah. as Mr. Clutch. For your numerous clutch catches and game-winning situations, especially that Hail Mary reception from Roger Staubach that sealed the victory over the Vikings in the 75 playoff game. Now, I bring that up because I remember having a conversation with Michael Jordan, and we were talking about those type of moments. And he said, Ron, when the game is on the line, I want to be the one to determine the outcome. If I succeed, I'll take the glory. If I fail, I'll take the blame. And not too many people will take the blame. What was it about you that made you a Mr. Clutch? Uh,
0: The same thing. I I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the man that they go to in that situation. I wanted to be the man that the team uh, uh, depended on in that situation. And then you do it once, and you you gain a little confidence within the team, within the, the coach and the quarterback. Then you do it again. And then a lot more confidence. So you do it, you know, third time. Now you got, them. and now that you're the guy, that when Roger gets in the huddle, he asks you, Drew, what do you got? You know, not when Coach Landry sends in, Drew, what do you got? Billy Joe, you know, didn't complain. Preston Pearson didn't complain. Whether it was Tony Hill or Golden Richards or Bob Hayes on the other side in the huddle, uh, didn't complain. Uh, because once you gain that confidence of, being, of the team to be able to pull it out and come through in those situations, now they're depending on you to do it. And that puts a little more pressure, but that pressure is what you want, you know, that situation. You know, it's like hitting that grand slam with the 3-2 count in the bottom of the ninth or hitting that jump shot, you know, as the time runs out. You know, you catch that winning touchdown uh, to win the game, and Those are, man to do that, to help the Dallas Cowboys win football games, you know, the team counting on you in those situations, team looking for you to do that. I'm talking about Hall of Fame players, a Hall of Fame coach, you know, counting on you. So there's no greater feeling than that, and that's respect. And you earn that respect amongst your teammates and the coaching staff. There's no greater respect uh, than that when they depend on you in those key situations. Uh, to help pull out games. And fortunately, I was able to do that a number of times.
1: Let me throw out some of your teammates' names, and I want to get your thoughts about Roger Staubach, first of all.
0: Uh, the man, the leader, my mentor, my buddy, uh, my business partner, my quarterback, <laughs> the guy that inducted me into the pro football, presented me uh, everything. I mean... Uh, a remarkable man. Uh, I try to emulate him in a lot of ways. You know, what I did as, as far as being a professional athlete, I guess the pro, a professional, the way I carried myself on and off the field, uh, the way I tried to be respectable as a family man and all those kind of things that Roger Staubach was all about. And even when I, you know, retired from the game and started my own business, you know, Roger was the first one there to help me out in that situation. Uh, so we've been friends for a long time, and uh, uh, I couldn't ask for a better situation to be in, to have known and have played with him and have your court be your quarterback for eight seasons and been blessed to have Danny White after that, but for eight seasons with a Hall of Fame quarterback and not just that, a Hall of Fame person i uh, just blessed to be around him. Everything you heard about him, all the good, it's true, okay? It's true.
1: <laughs> I remember uh, certainly where I was when I saw the play with Tony Dorsett going 99 yards for a touchdown, and you threw one of the key blocks in that game. Tell me about him uh, as a football player and also as a person.
0: Yeah, Tony Dorsett was a special player, there's no doubt, you know, uh, for his size to do what he did, the number of years that he did it, you know, I think it was uh, in high school in Pennsylvania and then, you know, at the University of Pittsburgh where he was the man for four years and the number of carries he had uh, playing that level of college football and coming into the NFL. And uh, after winning a national championship, you know, with Pitt, uh, you know, he he was the man. And he was what we needed, the final piece we needed on the offense to make us explosive, even more explosive. Because now, you know, we had Tony Hill drafted in the third round that year. Uh, we, Bob Hayes was gone. Bowman Richards was gone. And we needed that explosive piece on offense. so we brought Tony in. And, uh, I mean, he just uh, lit it up. But he didn't do it from day one. Because Landry brought him along slowly. Coach Landry had to humble him. You know, Tony didn't know what to call himself. or Dorsett, Dorsetti. You know, he got all the <laughs> last names and all that kind of stuff. So Coach Landry had to humble him. He put him on the bench three or four days. But at one point, he just couldn't keep him there. And, you know, Tony was a daylight runner. Coach Landry's schemes are all about schemes. You know, three steps, then cut. Three steps, then cut. You know? But Tony ran to daylight, so Coach Landry changed philosophy about the running game to, to accommodate Tony Dorsett. That's how good Tony Dorsett was, and for his side to take those hits that he was taking, you know, I'm down the field. You know, I'm I'm using blast spin down there. Tony Hill and I blocking for him downfield. Brooks Johnson as well. And so we saw firsthand the hits and what he was taking. But you know what? He never ever. Uh, walked to the sideline. He always walked right back to the huddle. No matter how he got stung, no matter how many times in the game he got stung, he always made it back to the huddle to go the next time. Tony used to say, you call it and I'll haul it. And that's what he did for us.
1: (laughs) We only have about three minutes left, and I want to get your thoughts about this. I love asking athletes, what's that one moment in your career that you'll never forget? What is it for you, Drew?
0: I think uh, uh, just making the Cowboys team, and, you know, having that feeling, and then you know being able to play 11 years in the league, having that kind of longevity. Uh, but if you got to go with one special moment, it's my rookie year. I caught an 83-yard touchdown pass against the Los Angeles Rams in the playoff game, my first playoff game at Texas Stadium to help blow that game out. After the game, I'm riding home with my late brother, Carrie Mark Bruce Pearson. And I turned to Moose. I said, Moose, after making a play like that, I said, I think I could play in this league. I think I can have a career in this league if I stay healthy. Because like doing that in a playoff game uh, against the Los Angeles Rams and national TV and all that gave me confidence that I can have a career if I stayed healthy. And that's exactly what happened. I'll stay healthy enough for 11 years. I missed three games in 11 seasons to have a great career. that ended up as an underdog. Started as a undrafted free agent and ended up as a pro football Hall of Fame.
1: Wow. Wow. 90 seconds left, and I, I have to ask you, because you just touched on it, uh, to go undrafted and then end up going into the Hall of Fame. Does that mind-blowing for you? I mean, do you just shake your head every time you think about that?
0: Yes, I do. And every time I look at the highlights and see some of the things I, do, I did, <laughs> I can't believe that was me out there. I don't know where it came from. Man, (laughs) it came, man. Thank God it did. But, uh, yeah, being a pro football Hall of Famer, that's something you never dreamed of as a kid. You know, I didn't think of anything like being Hall of Famer until I made all decade by the NFL. uh, And then maybe the Cowboy ring of honor. But, no, you don't dream of that as a kid. That's such an elite status that, you know, if you don't make that, you know, wherever you fall short, you still can be successful. That's how elite it is. So, uh, no, I never thought of being Hall of Famer, so it's amazing to me that I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame with that amazing class of 2021 that I went in with, uh, and we're going to stick together uh, uh, throughout our whole life, most of our lives as Pro Football Hall of Famers. That class is going to stick together, and every year we're going to go back, and that'll be our reunion every year to celebrate (laughs) into the pro football whole thing. How getting me all fired up?
1: Well, I want to thank you because, as I said, as a young sportscaster, I remember you vividly. But I also remember you for a couple of things. One was not only how you played the game, but the gentleman that you were always when you were off the field as well. I thank you for that, Drew. You're welcome here anytime on Sports Byline.
0: Well, thank you for having me, and uh, you call my name, and I'll be there. Thank you, sir.
1: Drew Pearson with us, the former wide receiver who's now in the Hall of Fame, who played his entire 11-year NFL career with the Dallas Cowboys. After playing his college football career at Tulsa, he was undrafted, but by the time his career ended, he had left his mark on the NFL. We continue with more of you and America's Sports Talk Show. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports
3: Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network.